We all have a creative part of our brain, whether we use it or not, for generating new ideas, problem solving, and just viewing ourselves in this world. I am Ricky McGeckron, an artist living in Chicago, and I am eager to know and share with you all how people of a creative leaning have brought this way of thinking to the forefront and how it has shifted outcomes. You can't fake passion or tenacity. Our guest today believes this wholeheartedly. He is the founder of Urban Pooch, a dog and pet owner nirvana. One of the most enthusiastic people I know, I am pleased to share my conversation with Ed Kazmarek. Urban Pooch Canine Life Center, Urban Pooch Training and Fitness Center, and Urban Pooch Training and Fitness Center Sports Annex are dog and pet parent nirvana where we love your dog like they are family. You can come in for all day play. You can have enrichment, which is a combination of training and play in small groups. We have cageless boarding and we also have grooming and bathing. Our new Urban Pooch Training and Fitness Center Sports Annex is a 3,900 square foot agility field with artificial turf. And it's the only one in Chicago. Sounds incredible. Makes me wish I, <laughs> makes me wish I were a dog. Um, <laughs> and this is something that you, this is not a franchise. This is no. your own creation. It's something that you thought up and you created. Yep. We were taking our puppy at the time, Berwyn, who Berwyn has since passed, we just got tired of running to so many different places to care for him. And, you know, there was one day where we just thought, you know, we could do this better. Just think if it could all be under one roof, you know, so we thought that, but then we were working with a financial planner at the time. And he said, you know, what do you want to do when you retire? And I said, well, it would be nice to retire early and maybe open up a dog daycare. And, you know, Dan was, of course, in the planning and Dan said, well, why do we have to wait? You know, you don't realize at that point what truly goes in to creating something to scale. But, it, you know, we decided to go, go down that route and become entrepreneurs. But it wasn't a impulsive decision. It was something that was based on careful planning, I assume. The, w- the way you described it, it was, you know, it sounds sort of impulsive, but I'm uh, <laughs> sure that it was not. No, no. And, and I, at the, at the time I was working at Kraft Foods, I had a good solid salary and we knew that, you know, we could, you know, leverage my salary for that. And, but we, we also knew that Dan had to leave his job in order to be on site to do everything. Of course. And, um, but we also knew we couldn't do it without getting an SBA loan or some other similar funding. It was the ninth bank that we went to that ended up giving us the loan. And it was actually Chase. And it was the second time we had been at Chase. But the difference was we had met this one business banker, Karen, and I met with her actually up in Glenview at the Glen while I, you know, was on lunch from Kraft. 
and, you know, went through, you know, our shtick and our story. And she said, I believe in you and I am going to help make this a reality. And she did. When you were going through those eight bank applications that didn't work, work, how did you feel? Did you feel that this is a failure? Do we need to, is, this is not a good idea? Or you felt like you just have to keep on it until you find someone that believes in you? I, th- I think, yeah, I'm laughing because each time it happened, we were a little pissed off and we're like, you know what? This is a great idea and we're going to do this. And we just have to keep on going until someone believes in us and someone says, you know, we can make it happen. And I think that whole process took a year, you know, to get to that point. And, you know, I, I think it made it a little easier for us because we were both still working and but also Dan knew until we got the funding, he couldn't leave work and start this. So we were definitely very motivated and, you know, but we, we kept going. I think, you know, both of us have um, tenacity, you know, at our core. And I think each time we were told no, it gave us just a little bit more zhuzh of power. Mm, okay. So that, tenacity is something that's at your, as you said, is at your core. So that's something that would have revealed itself in your life before Urban Pooch. Oh, sure. Yes. I'm, I'm definitely, I, I would say I'm an innovator and an entrepreneur at heart. And I love creating things, whether it's a new marketing campaign or helping a business to grow and flourish and, you know, the, the one thing that I've seen is that, you know, the, the, the two things you can't ever fake are passion and tenacity. It, you know, and I feel I'm not going to be working on anything unless I'm passionate about it. And that, you know, Dan definitely has a high degree of passion as well. And, you know, this was just, you know, something that, you know, we decided to do. And, you know, we're both very spiritual people at the same time. So, you know, when something speaks to you, we're like, you know what, we're supposed to be doing that. So Mm -hmm. let's do it. One of the things that we spoke about when we did our pre-interview is this cycle of building, envisioning something, <clears throat> creating it, building it, making it successful and moving on. Is yes. that something that is part of you in the same way tenacity is? Like, did that manifest and reveal itself at an early age with you as a kid? It 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 did. I mean, I when I was in my teens with, with three other friends, we cre, you know, we created this, you know, we were all into Star Trek. So we created the Star Trek fanzine called Probe. And, you know, someone said to us, who's going to talk to a bunch of young kids? And sure enough, I 
flew off to Houston, Texas to interview George Takei, who played Mr. Sulu on Star Trek. And you know what? That was our first interview. And then we we also talked. How, to, how old were you? Oh, my God. I was like, I think I was 16 or 15. Living in like and you were living in rural Pennsylvania. I was living in Mount Carmel, Pennsylvania, in a coal mining town. Okay, wait a so, minute. You, you need to tell me more. How did you? <laughs> how did you go from that to getting on a flight to George Takei? This is before the internet. This is before the internet. Well, you know what? My dad, when I was young, always took me and my friends to Star Trek conventions, and you know, I think my parents definitely knew that I was wired a little differently, but they also knew when I was passionate about something, you know, let it go, let it fly. And, you know, I just said there happened to be, it was called, um, it was this big convention in Houston for Star Trek. I mean, you know, hundreds of thousands of people going and, you know, my dad allowed, you know, a couple of us to go and I mean, we had an incredible time. And, you know, I don't even remember how in the world I got George Takei's mobile like telephone number at the time. Or actually, you know what? It wasn't his mobile. It was his house phone because we didn't have mobiles back then. And, you know, but we did it. And we also had an interview with Andrew Probert. Um, who developed all of the graphics and some of the ships, designed some of the ships for Star Trek, the motion picture. And so he was a designer that we had an interview with. And you know, it's funny, my friend Mark, his father was a pastor. So we totally did probe like with his mimeograph machine. You know, we laid it out, we did the plates and then we were like, and we put it together and it was like stapled, you know, on the edges and we sold it and we mailed it out. And you know what? I mean, after a, a couple of years, we, you know, I think we were on to something else, but it was something where like four of us were all rallied around it and we each did something different. So I guess that was the first company I, I worked at. Yeah. How, I'm curious, how did you promote it back then? We promoted it, um, you know, Star Trek has a lot of, had a lot of groups that like the Walter Koenig fan club, I ended up meeting Jack Townsend, who ran the Walter Koenig fan club, you know, George, George Takei's fan club. And we also were part of this um, group called Starfleet Command. And it was like a... It was for fans of Star Trek and it was huge. It was run out of Eugene, Oregon. And um, we got to be friends with the guy who was running it and we promoted it that way. And, you know, that's that's how we did it. <laughs> that is fantastic. And the content, was it stuff that you guys wrote or? Yeah, we I mean, we wrote it because we did the interviews and then we would just talk to the different fan clubs and get little tidbits about everything and you know we were I mean we thought it was amazing and my mother still has that 
a copy of it and I look at it and I'm like, oh my God, it was like bubble gum and popsicle sticks. But you know what? It was amazing for, for young kids at our age that we were in publishing. Yeah. And, but, but you know what? We didn't think about it that way. Like we were so passionate about what we were writing about and what we were doing that we just felt good that we were connecting with other fans and giving them something of value. Yeah. This is such an amazing, fascinating <laughs> story to me because there's a lot of kids that are passionate about all sorts of things and they don't do anything with it, but it's like you had this thing that was in your brain and because you're obviously an extrovert and you like to connect with others, like you took that further and you had this, uh, this passion and you wanted to connect with others and put it out there. And then you have the tenacity to make it happen. I mean, most 15 year olds don't do that on their own unless maybe they're part of like, an Eagle Scout project or something like that, where you yeah. have like a structure that kind of forces you to do this. But the fact that you guys did that on your own, to me, that's exactly the reason why your urban pooch is successful. That's so funny because I don't think I've mentioned that fanzine in like 40 years. I, I, I mean, it is so funny that it took us talking for me to even like think back that far. The fact that your job and your business is around puppies is just, it sounds like a dream job. It definitely, you know, it's, it's funny because we, you know, we got into this business because our, our dog Berwin changed our lives in so many ways and connected us with so many people and, you know, when you, when you really bring it down to what dogs do, you know, dogs are the most soulful connection you can ever develop. And it's, it's such love. It's pure love. Like, I am a firm believer that dogs are on this earth to love us. And, you know, and I, I do think, I mean, I definitely believe that human beings are like designed to connect with other human beings. Because I, you know, I think we are, you know, all so much more, we have so much more in common with each other than we do differences. But then, you know, all of that, you know, noise comes through as you're growing up and everything. And somehow we forget that. And the, you know, I have to tell you the, the most impactful thing for me with the business is meeting the dogs. And I always kneel down, you know, to talk to them and just the love I get, you know, I get like choked up about it. Like it's just such a pure love. And I have never like knelt down to, to, to meet a dog where I have not gotten that love back. And I know that they can feel the love, but it's also connecting with the, the, the pet parents because, you know, their lives are transformed by their dogs. And, you know, all of a sudden it brings us all together over like all of this wonderful, like, 
magical love. And, you know, it's just, I, I really look at it as such a gift, but what makes Dan and I really feel good is we feel like we're giving something back to the world that is so good and so pure. And that is what keeps us going, you know, and building because it's just, you know, and selfishly, it feels great. Yeah. You know, like, but, I, I mean, I can feel great about what we're doing. Yeah. But it's a lot of work, obviously, you know, running because uh, we oh know God. each other personally. So I know how much work this is. I know how much, you know, stress. Um, so it's wonderful that you're actually doing something that is so meaningful to you and is really so meaningful to the world. I mean, you could yeah, be running an I, accounting accounting business. Not that there's anything wrong with accounting. <laughs> yeah, you know, but you know you? what I'm saying. But I you know could, what I'm saying. Yeah, I could never be running an accounting business. Right. <laughs> right. You know, obviously, you created Urban Pooch out of nothing. You know, that's why I asked if it was a franchise. You know, which you said it was not. This was something that you envisioned. To me, that is a creative exercise. Do you think of yourself, or have you thought of yourself as a creative individual? over the years I, or as a kid? I, yeah, I mean, I definitely, my mind has always been like on high speed. And I'm always like, even when I used to play with my friends, like, oh my God, we had such imagination over what, you know, how we would play and we'd be like on, you know, far away planets. I mean, it, we always like played science fiction stuff. And, you know, science fiction really tapped my brain because it's about, you know, the future and, you know, the future can be whatever we create. And, but I've, you know, all of my jobs, including, you know, working in advertising in New York City, you know, working at Kraft and Mondelez, you know, everything I was in was creative. Like when I was at Kraft and Mondelez, my last four and a half years, I was global director of innovation and emerging technology. So I helped um, startup businesses help all of our brands connect with consumers to make their lives easier and more delicious. And that was perhaps like the most creative stuff I've done and it impacted so many brands and so many people. And the, the great thing with that role is I worked with hundreds of startups and, you know, and the good thing is I had all this experience where I could consult with them and help them build their business while also giving them a platform to grow, you know, with these big brands. We worked with um, an app that was gross, grocery related and it would help you build shopping lists. But then they also have this technology where they put beacons, these sonic beacons inside the store where when a person had their app open and they would walk into a store, it would know where they were at in the store and it could guide them around to find, you know, the things that were on their shopping list. One was called Listener, L-I-S-N-R, and it was using this proprietary 
you know, technology. And it was, we did that with Trident Gum, you know, and it was around events. So there, you know, so not only did we have to say, here's what our brands are trying to do, we had to evaluate, you know, thousands of startups who wanted to get into our program. It was a program that I created with my boss, Bon and Bao, called Mobile Futures. And, you know, this was early on, we were like one of the first brand accelerators, you know, in the consumer packaged goods business. And it was just, it was, it was gigantic and magnificent. I mean, we got so much press on it and we traveled around the globe with the startups. It was just, I mean, it was, it was such a level of pure creativity that I, even when I talk about it now, I like it, my body buzzes from it with energy. And what would you tell people that are listening to this that are considering maybe getting into uh, starting a business and they want to use the creative part of themselves? Well, I would, I would definitely say um, everything is possible, but that it is very important to take a step back and get everything out on paper to create a business plan. And creative people by yourself may not have everything necessary to create a business plan. So network and connect with other people, tell them what your dream is and get them involved to ride the wave with you and help out along the way. Okay. So connect connect with other people. You don't want to be just in your head. No. And you know what? It's fun connecting with other people because you have one creative idea, you tell it to them and suddenly it like branches out and it just, I mean, it takes on a life of its own. And suddenly what you end up doing has the genesis of what you thought of, but it's grown so much bigger and so much brighter and so much better. Ed, I am so happy that we got to talk. Um, You know, you are my second doggy daycare-ish type business that I've had on the podcast. Um, I think my second episode was the interview with Waggyland in Boston, (laughs) who is my best friend. So I've been very excited to get you on uh, to talk about your business. And you're just such a wonderful guy and so passionate and interesting and full of energy. So thank you so much for uh, joining me. I think that people listening to this are going to be inspired by your story and your energy. Well, thank you so much. I'm, I'm honored to sit with you and that you wanted to hear my story. My name is Ricky McGeckrin, and you have been listening to Eager to Know, the podcast. If you haven't already, please go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Eager to Know podcast.